when we're doing a line by line through John 6, the Bible reading plan is on the, it's on the mobile app. So go there. We're also reading simultaneously in the book of Job because they parallel. And so after this, this is verse one. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked him, hey, Philip, where are we gonna buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Somebody say, say la. Let's look at verse seven. Philip replied, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. Another translation says, even if I had this much denarii, 200 days of a daily's wage in our time, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. <laughs> you know, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with a huge crowd? <laughs> That's how I read the Bible. Verse 10 Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. But Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God. Some translations say lifted it up to the Lord and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so there's nothing that's wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Everything in scripture is intentional, even down to the description of bread. And that's what I'm trying to teach you as we take an exegetical line by line, precept by precept, look at the scriptures. There are no accidents in what we have provided for information. Verse 14 says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we've been expecting. And last verse we're gonna look at, verse 15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So between John chapter five, which is the chapter that precedes this, and John chapter six, Jesus travels from Jerusalem all the way north to the Sea of Galilee. So he's covered quite a bit of territory. In verse two, it says that there are large crowds following Jesus. The author of the book of John feels it's important for us to understand that because Jesus did miracles, large crowds followed him. As a matter of fact, this story of the well, we call it the feeding of the 5,000. Did anybody notice when I was reading it? It was 5,000 men, which means all scholars agree that no less than 10,000 people were fed because women and children would have also been in that crowd. So it's not the feeding of the 5,000. It's the feeding of the 10,000 minimum. And so hold that note. But these large crowds are following Jesus. And John says, 
because he's doing a lot of miracles. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels tell this story. How many of you know that there's always a reason for repetition? Repetition highlights importance, and where there's repetition, there's revelation. And so every repetition gives another revelation. All the moms are shouting me down the loudest here on Long Island because they know when you tell your kid one time, it's important. If you tell your kid a second time, it's important. You tell them a third time, it's important. And if I got to tell you one more time, Oh, I know. My mom had the ability to drive with her knee while she whooped both of us from the back seat. And some of you don't believe in whoopings, and I can tell by your demeanor. You're still not right. (laughs) All these years later, ain't no amount of counseling or medication that can fix the lack of whoopings you, you didn't get. I'm kidding. We ground our kids, read them scriptures, and lovingly caress their head, and Tell them how special they are and that it's not their fault they feel that way. (laughs) But when you repeat something multiple times, it reveals the significance of it and you should be paying attention to the importance of that moment. And so you have that here. Let's continue to look at this though. Now Jesus in verse three, he goes up to the Golan Heights Now, it's called Golan Heights today. I'm taking a group of over 100 people to Israel this October, and we're going to look at the Golan Heights, and we're going to see that. But Jesus often ascended. We see him ascending hills, ascending mountains. We see Jesus going up. There's a significance to this. There's a reason why we are told in verse 3 of this chapter that he goes up. Somebody say up. You need to get this revelation because Jesus going up, ascending up, let me, let me read it to you. It's gonna help you understand. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. So understand that when he climbed this hill and sat down with his disciples, he was preparing them for the miraculous. Always you have to go up first because when you go up first, it's preceded by the miraculous. The miraculous happens when you go up. I know I'm speaking in spirit right now. Some of you don't understand, but there's a significance to going up. I was thinking about this last night as I was meditating on this word. Think about Elijah the prophet. He never encountered a physical death. I was walking past a graveyard in New York City looking at the tombstones, and then I suddenly was reminded that Elijah the prophet never died. And the Lord began to tell me, Mike, because he was thinking about heavenly things, his mind, it was in the upward direction. His body went the direction of his thoughts. And then I began to think about a man named Enoch. Enoch was was credited righteousness. Enoch didn't want to be like everybody around him. We use that word holy. Holy means what? Separate, right? And so what happened was Enoch began to direct his mind upward, and so his body went the direction of his mind. But see, there's another direction. It's down. And when you're thinking down, your body goes down into the grave. When you're thinking down, Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. You're down here, but because I'm here, Jesus was bringing him up. Pick up your mat. He didn't say push your mat aside. He said, pick it up because I'm teaching you 
that my disciples go up. That's the direction I've designed for them. Supernaturally, there's up. Elijah went up. Enoch went up. Jesus ascended after the resurrection up. They said they had to look up. The Bible says, look up to the hills from whence your help. Your help doesn't come from down. It comes from up. There's something about that direction. Some of you are so fixated on your mortgage. You got to look down to think about your mortgage. You're so fixated on your car. Those are the things below. If you're thinking about the things below, you're headed below. But if you think on the things above, the Bible says, fix your mind on the things above, above, above. See, this is what we're supposed, kingdom come, your will be done on Long Island, in Miami, in California, in Indiana, as it is. There's a kingdom above that is now coming and settling down below. Up, somebody say up. Okay, keep that in mind because this is revelation. This is revelation. We are not to be fixated on the things below. This, we got to get the revelation of this. So Jesus sees this crowd and he turns to Philip. He's like, hey, Philip, where can we buy some bread? <laughs> look, look at how we, hey, where can we buy some bread to feed all these people? But look at the next verse. He was testing Philip for he already knew what Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Turn to your neighbor and just push him a little bit and say, it's just a test. Yeah, push him a little harder. Say, it's just a test. <laughs> Somebody just got triggered. That's all right. We'll pray for you after service. It's just a test. Hey, Mike, where are you going to get $4.45 million to buy a building? It's just a test. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to talk to somebody right now. Hey, hey, how are you ever going to get a house on Long Island? It's just a test. <laughs> hey, hey, I know the doctors told you that this thing is unto death. It's just a test. <laughs> Woo, I feel the anointing on this. It's just a test. Isn't it just like God to ask you a question he knows you can't answer? Isn't it just like God to give you an assignment he knows you can't fulfill? He knew that Philip didn't have the finances. He knew Philip didn't have the ability. Somebody shout, it's just a test. It's always just a test. One of my favorite preachers is a, is a guy named Bob Sorge. Bob Sorge is an incredible man of God. And I've gleaned from his life for years and years. He used to be a worship leader. He used to be a, a, a really prolific preacher, but he suffered a vocal cord injury and he was unable to sing. To this day, he's never been able to sing again. He only can preach for 20 minutes or less because of the extreme pain that it produces for him to preach. And somebody asked him, where do you see the mercy of God in the story of Job? Where do you see the goodness of God? How could God possibly be good if he allowed Satan to destroy Job's entire family and everything that he owned? Bob Sorge said, that's an easy answer. The answer is this. The worst thing that can happen to a human being is that God leaves them alone. And the mercy that we see from God in the story of Job is that God never left Job alone. 
oh, I don't know who I came to tell right now. You may get annoyed by the way I preach and how loud I scream and how much I spit on the mic. You might get annoyed that your wife won't stop asking you to come to church. You might get annoyed by how much you hear your husband praying in the other room. You might get annoyed by how much you hear the things of God through the phone of your teenager, but God is not leaving you alone. God will chase you down. It's a form of his love. And what I see in the story of Job is I see God saying, Job, though, come on, though these things may have happened to you, if you will remain, if you'll keep your hold on me, I will turn it around and show you a double portion blessing. Because guess what? I've advanced past, I don't want to go to hell. There's a level beyond, I don't want to go to hell. It's, I don't want to be without God. I don't want to be left alone. I don't want to be left alone to my own reprobate thinking. I don't want to be left alone to my own strategy. The wisdom in the story of Job is that he said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him because I won't let him alone if he won't let me alone. And this is what I love about the Bible. You have stories like David because David sinned just like Saul sinned. And David was not vexed by demons, but Saul was. The difference is simple. David was quick to repent and he said, God, don't let your spirit be far from me. Anytime he came out of communion with God, David was reaching back. God, please come back. Please, God, I want to feel your presence again. It's not about perfection. It's about perfecting of the saints. It's about going back to that place of repentance and saying, God, I don't want you to leave me alone. And see, I'll tell you, I know what a Signorelli is without God. And I never want to be without God. I'm here to tell you that some of you have already stepped outside of God's graces. Get back in. Come on, step back underneath his hand. Step out. Some of you stepped out from his wing of protection. Come back under his wing. There is nothing to be gained out there. Do not sacrifice your fire for pleasure. Don't burn for another one. Burn for him. Don't burn for the world. Burn for him. Don't burn for a sports team. Burn for him. Don't burn for a college. Burn for him. Don't burn for a boyfriend. Burn for him. Don't come on somebody. Don't burn for dollars. Burn for him. There's something about this. There's something about this. He will always ask you a question. You don't have the answer to, but God bless Philip. He tried. Look what he says. Even if I worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed him. I don't know who this is for, but stop answering spiritual questions with natural financial explanations. God doesn't check your bank account before he causes you to birth something. Matter of fact, if you could afford it, you would get the credit for it. Did you hear what I just said? If you could afford it, you would get the credit for it. Of course, he's going to ask you to do something that you can't afford to do because the gap between what you have and what you don't have is what God has. He'll close the gap. And then I love Andrew. I would smack him if I saw him. Matter of fact, when I meet Andrew in heaven, I'm going to go like this. And see if he flinches. <laughs> He'd be like, why? Why are you doing that? I'm like, because you, you, you got on my nerves. And let me tell you why. I'm joking, but this is how you got to read the Bible. Because you have to understand these are human situations. 
If the Bible's not human to you, you're missing out. Sometimes we only focus, theologians only focus on divinity, but they miss the humanity. The lessons are in the humanity. These guys are just like us. Every time we get asked a spiritual question by God, we give a financial answer. We're all fill up. But sometimes we're Andrew. And look what Andrew says. <laughs> this is how I imagine he looked. <laughs> look, you see that old boy over there with the five barley loaves and two fish? We could use that. But what good is that going to do with this big old crowd? <laughs> you know, sometimes people mask their unbelief with humor. There comes a point where you got to go beyond the joke because you start becoming a joke. And I remember that when we first started this church, the Lord spoke to me and he said, your worship team is going to host my glory and your church is going to be known as, as a church that carries the ark of my glory. And I begin to study what does the glory of the Lord mean? Because right here in scripture, let me tie it together for you. Jesus is putting on full display the very nature of God in human flesh. So if you ever wanna know what does the glory of the Lord mean? Glory is not a fog, but it can be actually like, it can be accompanied by a fog. Glory is not gold dust coming from the ceiling, although his royalty could actually provoke that in the atmosphere. But glory is neither one of those things. Glory, is, it's a very simple thing, just like holy. The word holy, simple. We've made it all esoteric. We've made the word all mystical. It just means separate. It's like holy means like this keyboard. Once we purchased it from Guitar Center, we designated, we said this thing is gonna be used for the master's use. That thing's holy now. And so that's why we take care of everything we have in this church. That's why we have excellence as one of our four core values because what we're saying is when it's out there in the world, it's normal. When we bring it in to serve the kingdom, it becomes separate. So therefore we must take care of it because we're a nation of Levites in this church. This is a church full of Levites. And then some of the Levites are Nazarites. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just study it this week. But we are a different church. That's what you're feeling. So as we prepare to kind of wind down in this message, the thing that I wanted to show you is that Jesus was actually showing us the nature of God. Because, so what does that mean? God tests people. And as he's testing people, it is for the trying of our heart so that we can hold the weight of his glory. As he's testing us, it's to make us fit so that we can keep the thing that he promised and not lose it. The guy that was wearing the coat of many colors early in the story, that version of Joseph could not have sustained the responsibility of distributing seed in Egypt. He had to go through a long process of testing to make him able to withstand. And some of y'all want the product because it was promised, but you don't want the process. But it's the process that makes you fit to withstand the weight of the thing that God promised. And so there is no Joseph without prison. There is no Joseph without Potiphar wife. Some of you keep failing the lust test over and over again. You slept with every version of Potiphar's wife through your phone called pornography. And you're like, God, when it, why does it feel like I'm in a season of delay? No, you're not in a season of delay. Immediate obedience will release an immediate a promise, but you're delaying the release of the promise because you circled the mountain again. But it's something about the promise, the promise. Yes, God promised it, but the man that you're going to have to become is going to be tested. 
Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to get the promise, but the woman that you have to become is going to be tested. And so when you get tested, it actually is the best compliment in the kingdom. The greatest compliment you can get in the kingdom is not, wow, you're an amazing preacher. The greatest compliment you can get in the kingdom is not, wow, your singing voice is amazing. Wow, you're a brilliant mind. The greatest compliment you can get in the kingdom is a test because the test reveals that God's going to use you in great and mighty ways. The test reveals. See, let's talk about Philip. There were 12 disciples. Jesus asked this question of one disciple named Philip. It was just like Job. Jesus was saying, this is my nature. I did this with Job. Only Job got that test. Philip, out of 12, there's one. I'm giving you the test. See, the test reveals your significance. Who am I talking to right now? The test reveals your significance. There's a lot of people living their life. Some of you are saying, why do the wicked prosper? Because they're not called like you're called. Some of you are saying, why do my friends, nothing ever goes wrong in their life? Because you have a higher calling on your life. The devil left them alone because they're destined for mediocrity. But many are called, but few are chosen. You've been chosen. And it's always going to come in the form of a test. It's always going to come in the form of a test. I remember, and I've told this story, but my mom got us all dressed, five kids bundled up. And we said, mom, where are we going? We were all kids. We are all dressed up. And she said, and she starts crying and she says, today I, I have to give you guys up. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I remember, I remember hearing her say those words. I can't do it anymore. I was thinking about Jocelyn. Pastor Jocelyn gets the diagnosis. She gets the, the news and she's thinking to herself, how am I going to do this, Lord? Somebody say it's a test. Somebody say it's a test. See, there's something that begins to happen on the inside of you when you realize it's just a test. If I could go back in time and me and my mom could go back in time and I could walk us up to 843 175th Street in Hammond, Indiana and knock on the door and see a young Sandra and see a young Doolittle. And if I could say, hey, Sandra, this is you. All these years later, you're going to be launching churches all over the U.S. with your son. You guys are going to be casting demons out of tens of thousands of people. You guys are making a movie that's coming out this fall. Don't give up. It's just a test. But see, I couldn't go back in time because sometimes you have to go through that thing alone. Because that, if Joseph could go back in time to a young Joseph and say, your brother's going to lead you into a well. They're, they're plotting to kill you. But as it continues, and this is how it's all going to work out. And all of us, we want to look back and see how it's all going to work out. But that's another way of saying, I don't want to go through the test. Give me the cheat code. Tell me all the answers. But there is no other way than enduring the test. Because what happened was a young Jocelyn 
looked at her situation and she said, I am gonna make my mind up that I'm gonna lean not into my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm gonna acknowledge him and he will make my path straight. And she got up on this stage and she preached a message and said, all these years later, my son is graduating with honors. All these years later, my son is worshiping the King. I'm pastoring a thriving New York City campus because it was just a test and it just lasts a little while. And God knows the end from the beginning. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. The answer was already there. It's us that's being tested. Is there anybody here who would just shout, I'm ready to pass my test? It's just a test. It's just a test. Jesus says, tell everybody to sit down. And they all sit down. Then it says, Jesus took the loaves. He gave it to God. He distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. This is my last point. Barley loaves. Remember, there's nothing in scripture on accident. Barley was the bread eaten by poor people. If you had money, you would eat wheat bread. So the fact that that Andrew said, oh, look at that little boy with the barley bread and the two fish, you know what he was saying? Hey, you see that little poor kid over there? Maybe we could use that poor kids, but that's not enough. And Jesus said, bring that barley bread to me. Let me show you what I can do with poverty. Let me show you what I can do. Now this is what happened. Whew. Now also the fish, what does the fish represent? That boy probably caught his own fish, so it represents what that boy was able to do for himself. Bring me the fish and bring me the bread. And this is what the scriptures say. And Jesus took it and he lifted it up and he gave thanks before the Lord. And then he brought it back down and he said, now multiply this distributed to 10,000 people. Where did he take the barley bread? Up, up. Something happens when you take it out of this dimension and place it into this dimension. See, the reason why we have medically verifiable miracles happen at this church on the regular is because when Philip gave his diagnosis of how much money it was gonna take to feed everybody, he was accurate, but he was accurate in the wrong dimension. So when the doctor tells you all the results, those results may be accurate, but they're only accurate in this dimension because there is a spiritual dimension where another set of rules apply. And what happens when you stop leaning into your own understanding and you say, I'm gonna choose to step into this dimension. See, there's a physician in this dimension, but the great physician is in this dimension. Oh, somebody, I wish you heard. The reason why we see physical miracles all the time is because I'm provoking people. Take that barley loaf, lift it up to God. Woo, I feel the anointing. Lift it up to Him. 
take a risk, when you put it into a heavenly dimension, it will be transfigured. People ask me all the time, how did you figure out how to launch all these campuses? It's simple. I'm the poor boy with the barley loaves. But I said, God, if you can take my limited mind and I lifted my mind to him, show me your ways. God, teach me what you want. He began to increase me. The Lord wants to teach you the secret to increase. It's stepping out of this dimension, putting your life in the spiritual realm, lifting it up to him and saying, God, in this place, change me. Change my energy levels. Change my mental capacity. Change the way I see finances. Change what I believe for. And then people come out. Watch what happens. They come back down out of these heavenly realms. And what happened in this realm, the power of the spiritual, I want you all to catch this. The power of the spiritual realm has the ability, this is a principle, to supersede the power of the natural realm. So this is true with a lowercase t. This realm is true with a capital T. So when you accept, oh, I feel the power of God. When you accept the reality of this dimension, when you say, God, whatever you say is true and whatever they say is a lie, Whatever you have for me, I'll receive, and whatever they have for me, I'll reject. What happens is the reality of this world begins to supersede the reality of our physical realm. Now all of a sudden, you could say what you want, but we just fed 10,000 people with a few barley loaves of bread and fish, and then there was no denying. That's why the doctors in this realm have to confirm what that great physician did, because he has the greater power, the greater jurisdiction is there anybody who would jump to their feet right now and celebrate the fact that God is lifting you up get up out of your slumber get up out of your depression get up out pick your mat up and walk put that barley loaf of bread up to the sky and say God have your way my brethren Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. James chapter two, verse three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith works patience. Look, James two, three, it connects joy with tests. The way that you release joy is to step into a test. That this makes no sense. Some of you are like, I don't even understand it. That's the point. The only reason, oh, <laughs> come on, I'm about to show you something. I must not be dying anytime soon because all these tests prove that there's something on the way. I must not be dying anytime soon because these, oh, I'm getting happy. There's some joy coming up. Man, there's a reason why this has happened to me. Isn't it funny how you'll get fought harder when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ than you ever did in the world? It's a compliment, baby. The devil sees you as an enemy. To be an enemy of the devil is to be a friend of God. To be hated by Satan is to be loved by God. And somebody's realizing, count it all joy. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse four. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests the hearts. First Peter chapter one, verse six and seven. 
in all this you greatly rejoice say greatly rejoice though now for a little while say just a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials look look at me it just lasts a little while sandra you will have spent more years seeing the goodness and the faithfulness of god than you ever were in poverty and shame because he'll give you double for your trouble Jocelyn, you'll spend more years with your son accomplishing everything that God called for him than you ever did suffering under the weight of that diagnosis. See, what'll happen, some of you are gonna spend more years off of medication than you did on medication. Some of you are gonna spend more years healthy than you ever did sick. See, it just lasts a little while. Somebody say a little while. You gotta put that test into perspective. It's just a test. What would happen if you would look that test in the eyes and say, ah, I got exceedingly great joy because the miraculous is getting ready to be released in this test. Oh, I'm about to see some waters part. Oh, I'm stirring up faith inside somebody. I felt faith just get activated in 10 people right now. I felt faith just get activated in 10 people right now. I want to look back when I die and I want to look back at my life and I want to say, God, with my life, was I an Andrew who was making fun of everything and joking about how it wasn't possible? Was I a Philip who always answered with a financial equation or was I a wild one? because I want heaven to watch all of us down here at V1 Church. And I want heaven to say, if I, I want the, the host of heaven and the apostles that have gone before us to say, if I attended any church in America, I'd attend that V1 Church because they remind me it's a different language and they dress a little funny, but I'm telling you, they have the faith like we had. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. If you could have told Julie Signorelli, your husband's an alcoholic now. But that man, we don't even know if an angel gave me that prophetic word in the parking lot. We don't know who gave it. But if we could tell Julie Signorelli, there's gonna come a day where right down the street from where you got ordained at 22, you're gonna buy a building and have your own church. The greatest aspiration of our life was that we had a church in Northwest Indiana. And the Lord says, because you believed, I'll give you churches everywhere. And it's not about us. It's about us showing you what it looks like to step into faith. This has all got to be an understanding. It's just a test. It's just a test. It's just a test. It just lasts a little while. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise in glory and in honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. <laughs> Come on, vessels of honor. Vessels of honor. This test is almost done making some things complete on the inside of you. Oh, this test, no, you wouldn't have chosen it. Oh, this situation, I feel the power of God. Just stay with me. If you want to leave, just leave. I, I got to take 10 seconds. I feel an utterance from the Lord. Oh, you would not have chosen this test. If I gave you the option, you would not have chosen this test. 
But I hear the Lord saying, but I chose this test for you because I knew that you would endure. I knew that you would be made complete, lacking nothing because of this test. And you will rejoice and you will be exceedingly glad when you see what this has produced in you. Some of you right now, I feel the Lord is asking you, would you stop fighting the test? Stop rationalizing around the test. Stop strategizing around the test and will you submit to the test? I'm taking the test, I'm not cheating the test. I feel like somebody, the, the Lord just showed me the phrase cheaters. Always trying to cheat the test. There's something about it. I remember when I finally stopped drinking, all of a sudden finances just came into my life like crazy. And I was like, Lord, why am I so financially blessed? I've always been generous, but this is different. And clear as day, the Lord spoke to me and he said, it was a test. I never entrust my finances to drunkards. And as soon as you gave it up, you passed your test and I could release it in your life because I can trust you with more, but I'll never release my finances to drunkards. I feel like there's some of you, and it, just like me, we try to cheat the test. Give me the answers. Let me find, there's gotta be another way around this test. Let me lie. Let me tell the teacher something. And God's saying, no, just sit down, pass this test. Now there's two kinds of tests. There's aptitude tests and there's time tests. A time test is when the Lord says, you're going into this season and I've determined how long it's gonna last and nothing you do will change it. Then there's aptitude tests where the Lord says, as soon as you learn, I'll release you. And I don't know because some of you are in time test and some of you are in aptitude test, but most of you are in aptitude test. And the Lord says, as soon as you learn it, I'll release you to the next level. As soon as you learn it, I'll release you into the fullness. As soon as you learn it. And you know, what I do as a pastor is facilitate test taking. And I'm cheering you on right now. So right now, what we're gonna do is a sign of surrender is we have our barley loaves. <laughs> and Jesus lifted those barley loaves up and they became blessed. As a sign of surrender, would you just across every location, just lift your hands towards heaven? Only if you're willing to surrender. Wow, I felt something massively begin to transact. You're lifting up your hands and what you're saying is, God, I don't care how old I am. I don't care how young I am. God, I'm submitting to you right now. I am submitting to the test. I will pass this test. Now we're gonna say this prayer across every location. And some of you, even at the amen, are about to be accelerated into the next level. Everybody say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I give you this barley loaf my life, my limitations, my mind, my emotions, all of my feelings, I give it to you. Raise it up as a sacrifice. You can have it, God. I submit and surrender to this test. Make complete in me everything that you destined with exceeding joy and gladness I proceed because I've decided I will pass my test I will pass my test have your way in me Jesus